0: The very morning of our interview, Russ Hadlock had been in touch with his SBA lender because Russ is just now in the middle of extending the term of his loan from 10 to 20 years so that he can lower the monthly payment and get some breathing room. Russ isn't sure he's going to make it. He bought an auto glass business that seemed solid, founded in the 80s, 600,000-ish of SDE, two locations multiple lines of revenue. But as you'll hear in today's interview, what seemed solid has been anything but. A few of the business's expenses have jumped under his ownership, while sales have declined. When both of those happen at once, that 20% margin that so many service businesses have closes very quickly. Russ hasn't paid himself in his 14 months of ownership. In fact, he's plowed an additional six figures into the business to keep it going. He's looking to consolidate the two locations into one. He's looking at getting a job. If he can just stabilize things and keep the business going, even if he's not earning any money directly from it. So this is one of those stories about the sometimes perilous nature of buying a business. And Russ was very generous to not only share it with us, but do so in real time. He and I have already agreed that he'll come back on later in the year to tell you what happened in these next critical months. Here is Russ Hadlock, owner of the Autoglass Clinic in Mobile Radio. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. August Felker is a two time successful searcher. First, with a traditional search fund. The second time around, he did a self funded search. Today, August runs Oberly Risk Strategies, an insurance firm with a dedicated practice group for searchers and acquisition entrepreneurs like you. If you've got a business under LOI, Oberly will provide complimentary due diligence on that business's insurance and benefits program. A great, no risk way to get to know August and team. They love helping searchers. They've worked with hundreds. Oberly is a specialty insurance brokerage for searchers by a former searcher. Check out oberly-risk.com, o b e r l e hyphen risk.com, link in the show notes. Russ Hadlock, welcome to Acquiring Minds. Thanks, Will. I'm glad to be here. Russ, you bought an auto glass repair business in November 2022. Things were precarious for the first year, but then a few months ago in the fall of 2023, things took a turn for the worse and really reached crisis level. So you are in the throes of a small business struggle as we speak. We're going to hear that story and how you're thinking about the future and dealing with this. But let's get started with some background on you, please, Russ.
1: So I spent the bulk of my career selling in one way or another from, you know, selling tools on commission in high school, you know, all the way through, you know, B2B, uh, career sales later in life. And then, uh, in 2019, I stumbled across to an idea, a product idea, if you will, it was the proverbial like lightning bolt moment, developed a product and it started to garner some traction and that product Turned into a company, so I left everything I had built and went all in on the product. Built and a Russ, company before,
0: before we hear that uh, mini story, which I want to I want to give a minute to. Give us just a little bit more background on you and your experience with business, because I recall you telling me you weren't always destined to become an entrepreneur. That happened maybe a little bit later in your professional maturation. So t- give me more on that.
1: I would say I was I was um, I, I guess a product of my upbringing. So you know my my dad was retired military and and blue collar and i that's what i that's what i thought i was you know going to be i never i didn't go the military route but i thought that i would just i would get a job and i would grind it out for my entire life you know working for the man i just the concept of business ownership never really occurred to me um you know and then and then later in my career i got an opportunity to become a partner in a company which gave me some exposure and then my wife's father was a successful entrepreneur and I think that those two things sort of changed, um, you know, broke the frame I was living in, and kind of gave me a different, a different mindset and perspective. And then I slowly shifted, you know, over the course of you know eight nine years, um, out of the out of the W two mindset. And I don't know that I can I can go back successfully now if I had to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is it is a bit of a rabbit hole or a or a a red pill I should I yeah should say. yeah. Uh, Russ, and so you said eight or nine years ago, so call it 2013, 14, 15 is when this awakening is occurring?
1: Mm-hmm. That's correct. Okay.
0: Okay. And that uh, awakening is because of this exposure, you get to kind of the, the inner workings of a business at, 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 at having been promoted to partner at a business that you were a, an employee of, and then presumably- you hit the books you listen to the pods you just start educating yourself over the next few years on all things business and entrepreneurship
1: yeah yeah for sure i i think that there's a i i think if all of your guests um you know me included probably have a like a a sub level of um personality which is is somewhat obsessive um you know and i have not everybody has that but um you know like you'll drink diet coke relentlessly for six months and then i'll bounce and do you know do you know i'll be on a water kick in a different diet and i'll obsess over that and that type of personality trait um also you know can take people the other way that's where addiction comes from and things like that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know I, I i recognize that about me but um i think that that's part of what um th- that's an undertone in the entrepreneurial spirit and so yeah mm-hmm. when i got exposed to business um like really deep really far and it just sort of hooked um and that's yeah that's how i ended up here podcasts and books and you know we all know the the buy then build of course that gets mentioned many many times on on here um all of those things i couldn't consume it fast enough i still do even now Mm -hmm.
0: and now let's return to this uh light bulb moment of a product concept that you had uh were you were you still um, employed as partner of that previous business and what in what industry was that
1: um it was packaging so it's agricultural packaging um okay yeah i, I would say that 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 company that business it was like everything about that place was 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 great I, I probably you know in hindsight should have stayed there i just you know because of the things that we just just mentioned i just i can't you know i need to be um, my mind needs to be consumed and I, there was enough extra time in that job that allowed me to pursue other creative opportunities. And I've always been, um, creative to some extent. Um, you know, I've had a wood shop and I love metalworking and all of those things. And, and yeah, so I was, uh, this, this product was all built on Peloton. So in one of my obsessive moments, I bought a Peloton bike in 2017 with a quest to lose weight. Um, and <laughs> I was you know, riding 45 minutes a day, every day, because I was in that obsessive moment. Um, and then I got to a point where I'd lost the weight and I was starting to ride to just maintain. And I was starting to get bored and I wanted to keep myself engaged. So I was looking for some other hook, like some other dopamine hit while I was on the bike. And so I started to, to you know, play video games and other things. And I was like, I can't be the only one that's trying to ride and, and get other things accomplished. Well, I, for whatever reason, I was looking at the bike and I saw a, you know. I don't want to say vision because that sounds cheesy but um i saw the the vision of a of a tray on the handlebars and i was like if i could put my laptop on there i could ride and then answer emails and do other things i was kind of dabbling in amazon um arbitrage so i was learning amazon seller central and all of those things and so that you know if i could ride while i'm doing that or studying you know ppc or whatever um i could kill two birds with that one stone and so, you know, I just, I saw uh, some people might remember, but there's a, this plastic tray that goes on the the steering wheel in a car for the traveling salesman. And, and the, the as seen on TV ad or the pictures that float around is the guy's eating his hamburger and his, you know, in his car. And this tray is sort of pinched on the steering wheel. Why well, that, mm-hmm. that tray design, I felt like a similar iteration of that would work on the handlebars of the bike. And so Um, I created one in the wood shop and tested it and I was like, wow, this, this might actually work. And so then, Mm -hmm. you know, to condense a a very long story that I, I parlayed that into a successful product. And then later a company, I found a partner we engineered a bunch of parts and, you know, built a successful e-commerce company and bought our own machines and in-house and manufacturing. And, and we, we did a lot in a couple of years and that some of that thanks to COVID and the Peloton rise, but
0: and russ the at what point did you have the confidence to go all in on that business and quit your w2
1: that's a that's a trick question uh in the sense that um i probably would have done i'm a little reckless in that sense um like i i feel like i came came from nothing so i'm not afraid of nothing but i have a you know a spouse that that is in my ear and i think we all understand that like every entrepreneur you know there's usually a good woman behind him somewhere and uh or vice versa a good man behind a good a good woman but um so it was i think it was getting over the hurdle of convincing my wife like i have an opportunity here to to go all in on this and i didn't want to be on my deathbed and look back and say you know what i, I played it safe and i wondered what could have been you know and so we finally got to a, to a position where you know she agreed and i agreed that it was time to go all in we were we were both up late at night packing you know, until you know, you put the kids at seven into bed at seven, and then we're packing orders and, and labels and everything until eleven or twelve o'clock at night, and, and we were like, I, you know, it was time. It was a pivotal moment. You know, we either you know we had to do something, and so that was that was the moment. So,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fantastic. And so we're not gonna we're not gonna spend um, much more time on this story, but give us the bullet points. How big did this business become? Obviously, Peloton is the is the kind of picture of a company that benefited from from COVID, and this is in the COVID time frame. And you were kind of in the you know on the coattails of, of the Peloton platform. Yeah, I mean that's mm. that's you know you're basically building a product on a platform in this case Peloton. So so give us the, the high level of basically what happens and and, and put some numbers around it if you would.
1: Yeah. So so the product was at zero in July of nineteen. Um, and by, I would say by the end of the year, it was that one single product was generating, you know, close to a hundred grand a month, you know, so it was trending a million dollars a year in gross revenue. Um, and that, that Q4 of that year, at that same time, I was out looking for an engineering partner because I knew that there were other, um, product opportunities within the space that were beyond my capabilities so i would say by the end of 2019 i had found a partner and by early 2020 um you know we were kind of like in motion like we were starting to produce some products you know um some ideas starting to put them out there i had developed a, a bit of an audience so i had i could quickly deploy an idea Um, and then by, by the time COVID had hit, we had had, you know, I think two other products kind of ready to go. They were launched and just starting to get some traction. And then the, the, you know, work from home orders started to land. Um, and then we, we just boomed after that. So from 18, the first 18 months of COVID. So after the work from home orders started, we, we did 4 million in revenue. So we just absolutely exploded um yeah what a ride yeah it was it was crazy
0: so 4 million over the first 18 months of COVID. so annualized that's what 2.6 ish 2.6 million um from an absolute standstill the year before um okay
1: and and then what and then um the amazon aggregators started to reach out like we had garnered some attention and and we had my partner and I had no intent to sell like we we knew that there there it may not have been evergreen within peloton um but we thought that we would parlay the manufacturing like we had purchased all of our own equipment and a building and everything we had in housed everything and we thought that we could parlay that into additional manufacturing opportunities so we would go you know aerospace or whatever that's where his background was from and i could sell and so that's that's the idea was to build a company into that and then the aggregator started to call um and we got a lot of interest in in the acquisition and we thought wow this you know this was an opportunity we didn't even think about um and the multiples were so good, it seemed like a no-brainer. So we then latched onto another company that was gonna help us build um, the books and everything to prepare for sale. Here's what the aggregators look for. Here's what your books need to look like. We had to separate the brand from the manufacturing. The aggregators didn't want the machines and the employees. And so we started to like, you know, segregate the company in such a way that those things looked optimal for the aggregator. Um, mm-hmm. And then I would say at the halfway through 22. So my wife is a teacher and we were ending nearing the end of the school year. So it's April, May of 22. I started to communicate with that company that was helping us. I was like, listen, I'll make you a discount. um, If to sell you my half um, to give us the opportunity to move. So my wife wanted to move across the state um, and, you know, get closer to the water and whatever. And so, Um, I extended an offer to that company and they ended up seizing it. And so they purchased me out and they became, you know, the stand in for my partner. The original, my engineering partner is still, still behind doing his thing. And, and so I took that, that funding, we moved and then we, the search began.
0: You moved from Eastern Washington to the Seattle side.
1: Correct. Yep. I'm on the other side of the Puget Sound from Seattle, but yep. Others. that's correct.
0: Great. And was that exit a life changing moment for you financially?
1: Um, it was. I had dreamed of, you know, developing a, you know, a million dollar product um, when I was a kid. Like I always thought the million dollar idea was the end all be all. Um, you know, I didn't have the entrepreneurial concept. I didn't think about building a million dollar company. But I thought if I could, you know, if I could create a widget, you know, make a million dollars off of it, I wouldn't have to work anymore. i was maybe when
0: you were a kid a million dollars would have done the trick yeah (laughs) yeah when i was
1: 10 that seemed like a really big deal um so i i you know all all told that product generated a million dollars obviously that didn't end up in my pocket the acquisition was um you know high six digits i didn't you know i didn't break that threshold but it was enough for me to um it was it was a life changing amount and i felt like it was enough for me to uh, to help me create the next step the next mm-hmm. layer you know mm-hmm. and i wanted some stability i've heard many times that selling on amazon is like picking up pennies in front of a steamroller like you're sort of mm-hmm. at their mercy i had a lot of frustration with china and and the amazon way of doing things and i thought you know what i i wanted to go safe and stable and you know like we discussed in our pre call i looked at everything you know from accounting practices and HVAC to landscaping. And, and I thought, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be safe. You know, something that, that I could do. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the precipice.
0: As you graduate into being a business owner, you're going to want to optimize your taxes like never before. Because for business owners, effective tax strategy easily amounts to thousands of dollars per year in savings. Steed is a tax firm that creates personalized tax strategies for entrepreneurs and business owners, including searchers and acquisition entrepreneurs. Steed has specialists on staff who understand the challenges you face buying a business and can maximize tax benefits during the acquisition process. They're running an exclusive offer for Acquiring Minds listeners, a free tax strategy session. There's a link in the show notes to book the session directly. So try out Steed, risk-free, and see how their CPAs can deliver immediate value. You can learn more at steedstrategy.com or click that link in the show notes to book your free tax strategy session today. And where did you learn about this concept of search between your success with the Peloton add-on, add-on product, Trey product? And search like how did you know that going out and buying an existing business? Because a lot of people, even people who've been in entrepreneurship for a long time, don't see that path.
1: I I didn't. Um, you know, I I didn't think. You know, I thought that everybody sold to you know bigger firms, PE firms, or, or like the aggregators. Those those were the guys I was talking to, right? Like these big these institutions that went out and and gathered capital and consumed a bunch of companies um i i you're i i, I don't want to sound like i'm you know trying to flatter you or or sell the podcast but Please, a lot of it has to do me. yeah a lot of it has <laughs> to do with acquiring minds like i I'd, I'd listen to um a ton of stories i can't t- i don't know the exact day or the exact story that you know flipped that switch but that's where that data came from that's where that idea you know came from so in the in my obsession into business i had stumbled across you know acquiring minds you know amongst the half a dozen other podcasts and the stories that i had heard from you know from people with nothing doing a a business acquisition i'm still a huge advocate even in the you know i'm struggling now but i still think that that from from a standstill there's no better way to create wealth you know like Mm -hmm. there's, there's hands down no better way and I'm I'm convinced of that wholeheartedly, and so um, yeah, that's how I'm that's how I'm listening to your stories. That's that's what got me into this mess.
0: <laughs> I don't know whether to be gratified or horrified here, Russ. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Well. Well. Wh- one more, just follow up on that. Yes, you did. You said you wanted something safe. Sure. Or safe for safer than the, certainly the, you know, building on the Amazon platform, which is, which is so unpredictable as you just, as you just said. But still you, you were somebody who had started something from scratch and, and created a wildly successful product. And so that might, uh, you know, that might otherwise give an entrepreneur the confidence to go and do that same path again, you know, seeking out a different widget, a different product. Um, you know, yeah. So, so were you not at all tempted by another zero to one adventure?
1: Uh, yes and no. What, what there's two there's two thoughts behind why I didn't do that. Um, the first one is I, I didn't get enough money. I think that gave me enough runway for me to really go out and and try and fail a couple of times. Um, and then two, I really felt like it was lightning in a bottle. Um, that's probably a like an internal frame that I need to let go. Um, you, you know, I feel like. The, the, in all likelihood to, to come up with a product, you know, and then catching COVID at the right time at the right, all of those circumstances to me felt so, so random, um, mm-hmm. that I don't really want to take hundred percent credit for the fact that that happened, you know? And then, mm-hmm. so in the back of my mind, I think, you know, if I go through the, 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 the work to come up with an idea and try to launch it and build it, I'm, I'm going to be like down Because I, you know, there there was so much fire behind the other one that it's going to be hard to compete with that. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to be better off trying to find something that's that's already already got some momentum and try to inject what I what I do into that space.
0: Okay, so let's let's pick up uh, at your search then. So you all have moved westward uh, across the state to the west, cross Puget Sound uh, from Seattle. What is that area called on the other side of the sound from Seattle? Is that, does that does have a name that kind of uh, that, peninsula?
1: Yeah, the Olympic Peninsula is kind of what it's what it's referred to. You know, it's right. You know, the Olympic mountains are right in the middle of the peninsula and there's small communities wrapped all the way around. So uh,
0: okay. So t- tell us you you started talking about some of the kind of traditional businesses that we hear about a lot, landscaping, HVAC. Take us into your search.
1: So I'd I'd listen to you know, many, many of the other searchers and the criteria, you know that they that they work from right so i geography i kind of threw out the window i wasn't going to move again uh my wife wasn't going to let us move again (laughs) so i knew i was geographically limited um and numbers wise so i for whatever reason i was under the impression that i was limited in my acquisition power by home equity like how much i could back end the loan with um in hindsight, that was a very, I I don't know how, where I got that idea. Um, because if you, if you run that idea out, it doesn't make any sense at all. But, um, yeah, I just felt like I was limited in what I could buy by the amount of equity equity I had, you know, to, to, to back up the loan. So I,
0: Russ, let's, let's dwell on this for a minute, just in case listeners in the audience are making the same mistake you had, but you just recently bought the house. So you must not have had, did you just do a 20%? Mortgage typical, like you must not have had that much equity in the house anyway.
1: Well, it, you know, so we had sold our home and then I had, you know, you know, money from the sale. And I like I put a bunch of stuff in it. So I knew that this that the, that was my biggest, you know, um, my biggest asset, right, was the home. So I had I had a fair amount of equity, mm-hmm. um, you know, which I f- felt like was allowing me to buy, you know, up the chain a little bit. Um and I felt like too, I was also, I was also, and maybe some of it was subconscious in the fact that I felt like if it all went down, I could sell the house and clear the loan. Like I'd still have a, I could still have a business that was cash flowing with no loan. If I absolutely had to, we'd be homeless, but you <laughs> mm-hmm. know, I would have a business that could, you know, could at least wipe the loan clean. Um, but anyway, that I. you know, I, again, I don't know why I had that like mindset, uh, but that's, you know, part of what I had, I had forced myself, you know, into a business that sort of fit in that mold. And then I was a little bit, you know, spooked, I think, um, by some of the bigger ones, like I've I've done a ton of creative deals, um, you know, from buildings and homes to, you know, the business stuff is, I'm not afraid to be really, really creative Mm -hmm. in deal making. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like if I, if I needed to buy bigger, I could have, I could have made the deal the deal happened but the fear started to um kind of come in over the top of me like i, I didn't want to buy a business that was you know bigger than what i felt like i was capable of running mm-hmm.
0: and you so know, the, and, the the theory that the bigger you buy in fact the less risky it is uh intellectually you could understand that but like emotionally you weren't there
1: which i understand the, yeah 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 in hindsight that was that was probably you know a very very big mistake Like, I just didn't, you know, I just didn't peel all the layers of the onion back and really, and really think about it. And I think um, some of that, too, is that, like, I was alone in the search. You Mm -hmm. know, I think some of the search fund groups, um, there's a huge advantage in that there's a lot of, I I, I mean, from the outside looking in, there's a lot of dialogue that happens back and forth. And when you're, and everybody talks about being alone on a search, and you kind of are, because the criteria is different. You know, even if I found somebody else that was searching. They're going to be every, all of the variables are going to be different for that searcher than they are for me. So Mm -hmm. even if we could have some dialogue, I don't know that I would have uncovered some of my hangups because, you know, we're both going through, you know, the end result is the same, but everything else is different. Yeah, You know, the, you know, the dollars that you're willing to spend, how the SBA, you know, brokerage is dealing with you. Um, previous experience, the business that you're looking at, none of those things are, th- are going to be the same. The The bank, motions of the bank are probably similar, but that's the only part.
0: Yeah. Well, th- this point about now in retrospect, you wished you had pushed through whatever anxiety you had about buying a larger business. Um, I just want to make sure that th- I heard that correctly, because if if there are other, I, I mean, I understand your feeling too. Like, I mean, I think it's it's natural for most people that like the smaller it is, the less risky it is. And even when you hear no, 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 a million dollar SDE business, SDE business is going to be more stable and therefore less risky, it's still it's still very hard to feel that as opposed to just intellectually understand it. So I just want to I just want to highlight you now into your a, a year and four months into this looking back on that and just now you really do feel the truth of that the truth that bigger is better
1: yeah oh absolutely I i and I felt like the that I had carved up the SDE in my in my projections in such a way that I had a little bit of breathing room Um, I felt like it was big enough um but it, it can go that SDE can get consumed so fast um you know, like a third, a third, a third. So a third of debt, you know, a third extra or, you know, owner salary and a third for, for slop is kind of what I at what I had calculated for. For slop, um, for
0: reinvesting or whatever. For e, yeah, uh, margin, correct. reinvesting, I, anything, hiring.
1: E, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wasn't going to run the company nearly as well as the old owner, right? Like he'd grown up in it and ran it for 25 years. I knew operationally he was... <clears throat> really had it dialed in, right? I knew I'm going to, I'm going to like my cost of goods are going to go up 2% or 3% because I'm not, I'm not buying as sharp. You know, I'm going to make some mistakes and I kind of accounted for for a lot of that. I'm going to have to hire people to back end him, you know? And so I put, I tried to put all those numbers in the equation, but you know, it probably should have been, you know, I'd have to look at it from a real number. It's too important to just bucket it into a percent. Like I needed to look at real numbers and say, okay, can, you know, will this number XYZ pay for, you know, an employee 2% cost of good increase? You know, there were some expenses that increased that I didn't account for that sort of eroded, you know, my guesstimates. That was probably the biggest miss um, as I just didn't know. Some stuff were, was going to go up and I didn't know it.
0: Well, let, let's put but, a pin in that because we're going to get into the the nitty gritty there. But, um, but at this point, is it fair to say that you kind of napkin mathed the search? It was kind of like I'll have, like you said, divided the the SDE that you would have into thirds and kind of that was what you the, the kind of assumption you were operating under.
1: Right, right. So I, yeah, I knew, you know, size wise, like I had looked at some, you know, a couple of businesses that were smaller and I looked at a couple of businesses that were a little bit bigger and then you start to you know do the do the equation. Here's the debt load, and you start. And I started from the debt load. Um, yeah. And I was like, here, you know, here are all the pieces. And, um,
0: Russ, let, let's actually do this math with the business you bought. So, so let's kind of quickly go through. You looked at a few businesses that you didn't. T- tell us, is there anything to say about the businesses you didn't buy?
1: Um. I, I, you know, I would say one like I was really close. Um, I sent an LOI, and I was preparing to make an offer on a landscaping company in mm-hmm. in Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. And it looked, it was smaller. It was probably, you know, sixty percent of what this one is. So this, to give the audience some clarity, this business does two point three to two point five million a, a year in mm-hmm. gross revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, the landscaping company, I think, was like, you know, 1.5 or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, 1.7. Um, and the the problem with the landscaping one is I I realized when you look at the map, you're like, oh, it's just a ferry ride, you know, across the Seattle. But the ferry system is kind of a nightmare to deal with. Um, the people in our part of the world understand that. Um, but I, I felt like if there was an emergency, because it was on the other side of the water, if there was an emergency, I couldn't address it fast enough. Um, and then I didn't want to commute back and forth on a ferry every day. So, um, that, that business wasn't, wasn't going to work out. So that's, you know, one that I walked away from and it was, it was smaller yet. I mean, that was probably a really good move. It had those two, it wasn't big enough and I had a, a geography problem. So, Um, so at this point, even though you're
0: technically in the, 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 the greater Seattle metropolitan area, and there are probably a lot of people in your neighborhood who commute daily over to Seattle to go to work. You really don't even feel at, you've learned that at this point your search is going to have to be geographically limited to the peninsula, the Olympic Peninsula, not even Correct. greater Seattle.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, if it was the right business in the Seattle area, I probably could have. You know, I thought about um, you know a more e-commerce. Um, you know, maybe that in hindsight, maybe that would have been a good a good idea, but I felt like it was risky. I was trying to stay safe. You know, I wanted a a services business. Um, but, but, you know, I could have done e-commerce or whatever that gives me some remote capability from the other side. And I looked at that, like I dug around, I went through empire flippers and, um, you know, some of the e-com sites looking, I just didn't find one that, that grabbed me. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew that I, I, like, I was afraid of what was going to happen with the economy. Um, and I, I really wanted stability. You know, I have a blue collar, kind of, you know, inner core and, you know, sweat equity. And I think the humans that make up the blue collar space I can relate to, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so, 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 you know, some of that was my, my draw to, to, to go the direction I did. Mm -hmm. And the, and the business, you know, the, 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 of the, to go back to your numbers question. So of the 2.5 million, um, in revenue, it spits off about 600 K in SDE. You know, multiple. Well, t-
0: tell us about the business, and then and then we're going to get into the numbers. What, what what did you? How
1: did you find it? What is it? So, a friend of mine sent me the listing. Uh, this one was on BizQuest only. It mm. was the only place it was listed. Uh, mm. And it, if it had said when I was scrolling through the list, if it said automotive in it, I didn't even I didn't even open it. Mm-hmm. I had no interest in automotive, none. <laughs> I'm not a I'm not much of a you know car guy per se. Um, and there was just nothing about the automotive space that interested me, but. Uh, when he sent me the listing and I looked at it the, I'll tell you the, the criteria that got my attention is that there's more than one location and there's more than one discipline. So this particular company, um, the auto glass clinic and mobile radio has a 12 volt component. So auto accessories from, you know, car stereos and lighting to vehicle outfitting and stuff um, to all the way to auto glass. Um, And so when I was looking at it again, I'm looking at it from a safe perspective. I'm like, okay, so you've got the, when the economy is hopping and people are putting money in their cars, I've got the 12 volt side that, that will, that will breathe with that side of the economy. Right. And then I have the auto glass side that is safe and stable and you know, again, a, a recession doesn't really care about, like if your windshield's broken, you got to get it fixed. Yep. Um, and there's also a huge insurance component, which you and I have talked about, we'll come back to that, but there's an insurance component to that too. So I'm looking at all of the things that can kill this business. And I'm like, man, this looks really, really solid. And there's two locations. So um, location one and location two are about 40 minutes apart geographically. So there's two population densities, two, you know, income I would say that the core income that the the company attacks uh, varies greatly between those two um, locations. So again, more stability. I'm like, okay, I'm diversifying my income. I'm diversifying my geography. I'm diversifying the discipline. All of those things were attractive to me.
0: And in the 25-year A, you mentioned 25 years that the previous owner had been in it for that long.
1: Was he the founder also? No, his his dad was the founder, so it started as mobile radio in 1982, I think, in a garage. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, that's and then in very America,
0: attractive. I mean, it had weathered any yeah. number of storms.
1: Correct, correct. Yeah, very, very um, well run, well built. Um, the the company has changed. Like, I could I could probably do a whole hour on how this little tiny company had like evolved. You know, under the two different owners and how drastically different they've been. They've been run. Um, you know, the 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 original owner, the founder had multiple, you know, I think half a dozen or eight locations at one point. Um mm. and then the you know, when the the next generation took it over, completely redesigned the company, um, you know, brought it back to two, two companies, changed the operational um, it's just further proof at how eclectic the business space is, right? Like it can be done. You can make money a million ways there's Mm -hmm. no right way there's no Mm -hmm. um black and white to it Um, you can be successful in the way that you run a business in a multitude of ways uh yeah so that so that's you know how we part of the reason that made this company so appealing to me and then i met the um i shopped them my wife needed a new windshield and so i scheduled here and I brought the car in. He didn't know at the time who I was. Like, I I was communicating with a broker. I had signed the NDA, gotten some documents. He didn't know who I was, but I came in and, and shopped it. And so I got a chance to see the the owner in action and kind of see the company in action and feel the atmosphere and the culture. Um, and then I, you know, had my windows tinted at the other location. So I shopped mm-hmm. both locations, you mm-hmm. know, to, to kind of get a feel on both, doing my own personal due diligence. Um. Yeah. And, 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 then that, and you
0: liked it. What did you find when you shopped it? I,
1: yeah, like it, it felt really, really solid. It felt like a like a company that had been around for a long time. Um, it, it was, the, the culture felt good. The interaction, the, you don't get to interact with everybody, but I got to interact with enough of the people where I could sort of put, a, there was no um, underlying sensation of, you know, discomfort or any. nobody was uneasy or, you know, like I just, there were just no red flags popping out of the, you know, internal culture that I could, that I could perceive anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, 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 I kind of felt like this, this is the one, you know, and I, and, and then I got a chance to, I went a little bit further and then scheduled a meeting with the owner. Um, so the broker at that point, once the owner and I started to communicate, the broker stepped back and then he was just waiting for the deal to close. Um, which I, from a broker standpoint that i feel like he failed the situation to some extent, but uh, I mean, it was fine. And uh, so the owner and I got, you know, we went and had a beer and got to spend some time together and I got to know him and he got to know me. And I think it was at that point that they, that, you know, we, we bonded and realized that we clicked. We were very complimentary. I think it, it, if he and I could build a business together, it would be great. Hmm. Um, much like my previous partner, like, uh, uh um, I'm, I, I think there's two types of entrepreneurs. Um, you know, obviously there's tons of shades, but some is most people can be carved up into two buckets. You're either you either lead sales and marketing, or you lean, um, you know, operation mm-hmm. aptitude, mm-hmm. right? And those two things make a really good partnership. And my mm-hmm. previous partner was very much operationally, you know, oriented, right? And I knew that I'm sales and marketing. You know, big idea. Um, quick to act, you know, like I get all of these things that I think are both a blessing and a curse for what, for what I do. And so I knew I was like, okay, this, this company, if this company needed an operational rebuild, I'm not the guy. Like I just, I I just don't have that capacity. I can hire for it and I can see it, but I just don't have the the ability to, to fix that. And so I knew that he was, that, that the bones of the company were good. Right. (laughs) And that where he was lacking, I was strong. So I thought I could come in and then start to grow that top end. Like let me inject my my skill set. If I could just keep the wheels on operationally, inject my skill set and then grow that top line. So that was the idea.
0: And so Russ, one more time on the numbers. It was two point three to two point five in top line revenue. And what was the take home? What was the SDE? Uh
1: just shy of six. Just shy of six. So mm-hmm.
0: This isn't super small. It's it's maybe out. You know, it's not a million dollars of SDE that you know are seven fifty to a million, but it's also not crazy small, actually.
1: Right. Well, yeah. Which is what I thought. I thought that you know this is this is big enough to handle handle the debt load. You know, throw a hundred or hundred and fifty out for. T- take us for through a- that
0: math. Take us exactly that math now that we know what the SDE is. Call the the SDE five fifty to six hundred.
1: Yeah, so I I knew that so um, the debt load was going to be a couple hundred grand a year to kind of no matter what, you know, so that left me with somewhere between four and five hundred to then, you know, carve up into me or additional employees or company growth or a combination of all of those things. And so I knew that I wanted I didn't intend to take any money out of the company for the first year and a half to two years. So I, I thought, okay, that's, that's 500, you know, the four to 500 that's left in the bucket, you know, three to 400, um, after debt service that is left to hire for employees. So I knew there was going to be a gap for the the exit of the owner. Um, and then there's going to be some growth initiatives. There's going to be a lot of stuff that I, I'm going to do the, um, a ton of money I was going to dump in early on to upgrade, you know, all of the marketing the whole marketing side of it like website rebuild signage branding you know all of that stuff and so i figured i figured i could touch half of that so 150 to 200 and the other 150 to 200 needs to stay in the in the system right Mm -hmm. for operational, you know cash flow and And so when you say you
0: you weren't going to take any money out you mean you weren't even going to pay yourself a salary
1: right yep so you were going to work
0: I, for, your plan was to work for free for, for whatever, a couple first couple of years.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that was the intent is like, I could, I mean, I felt like if it, if it was generating enough money, you know, then you take a quarterly dividend or if you're starting to see regular cash flow, then I can put, I could throw myself in payroll, but I was prepared to not, not pay myself. Mm-hmm. And I had put a smaller down, you know, I, I, we did the typical 10 and 10 breakup. So the owner carried 10, I put 10% down. Um, in the acquisition. And I didn't, I intentionally did not put a larger down payment down so I could hoard some cash to, for my own survival. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, that was the intent. Like if I didn't need it, great. Um, If I did need it, you know, I had, I had a cushion, like if the company wasn't generating enough, I had my own, my own uh, cash to keep me, to keep me going. So that was, that was the plan, like, which I felt like I, you know, I had it all mapped out (laughs) really well, I thought. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean it it sounds like you're being actually quite conservative and so you said 10 10 10% seller note 10% equity 80% SBA loan great and yep. and fully anticipating to invest fully anticipating a J curve and and prepared to not take any money for yourself if the if the business needed that um and keeping powder your own powder dry in in the form of putting in less equity 10% so that if you needed to have cash on hand to Infuse in the business or what have you, it was there too. So you you really are, you really are tr- trying to foresee choppy waters and, and 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 be able to to navigate them. Okay, all right. So, so we've got the transaction. You are before you just finished saying that you were you're the sales marketing guy and the or type, and the previous owner is more operational. Um, he's not going to stay in the business. So you, you've perceived this gap. What are you going to do to fill it?
1: So he, he actually did stay uh, for about six months on payroll um, to try to train me. Like the relationship that he and I had, like I said, was, was very, very good. Uh, We developed a, very much a a friendship and, and um, I knew he would be there. Um, I would say he was, he was, I agreed to pay him, Like his request to stay, the salary um, or the hourly rate was, was really high. But to me, that seemed like tuition, like to keep his knowledge, to get, to keep that 25 year knowledge of the business in the system while I try to learn, you know, from the fire hose seemed like money well spent. So again, to, to go back to your previous point, like I had a bunch of, you know, powder left to, to deploy. That was almost a hindrance in a sense, like every time something came up, I'm like, I, you know, I, I prepared for this. I got it. I'll take care of it. Mm. And uh, and so I think that gave me a false sense of security, which you know later haunts me. But we'll address that later. But to go back to 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 him, so he stayed at a higher rate. We also hire backfilled an employee that was supposed to be as capable as he was. That was a huge miss. The salary—I wasn't a part of the hiring in that. Again, I'm not—I'm not faulting him because everything in the rearview mirrors always looks better. It's at the at the moment. I think we all thought it was the right the right maneuver, um, but the guy um, wasn't capable of you know doing what he did, and he was provided a salary that that threw the numbers off. Um, and this was all at the eleventh hour. So we closed in November. Um, that employee was hired in September. Um, so this and, is and this like, employee
0: this is, was basically another kind of operations person with a lot of industry knowledge and experience. Who you saw as the person who was going to replace the owner after the owner's
1: six months came and went, sort of thing. Correct. Correct. Yep. He would get hired and get that was part of my contingency too in the acquisition. As I told the owner, like, I, I can't sit behind the desk and do everything that you do every day. There's enough. I felt like there was enough. You know, SDE to hire a good guy to put in that seat and do that job, um, and so that was part of my criteria, and I accounted for that in that SDE. You know, uh, I had a certain salary in mind. He was hired at, you know, fifty percent more than I thought. So that's one of the one of the drops in the bucket that started to eat away at that SDE that was unexpected. Mm-hmm. And again, this was happening between between September and the close date of November. That was one of the things that that changed that. And I, because I didn't get a chance to, to interview, I didn't have any say in the salary. He was doing what he, the seller was doing what he felt like he needed to do to get the deal across the finish line. And in re- reality, it was throwing a stone in my backpack, um, you know, that, that would haunt me later. And I, I don't know, like I could have done a bunch of different things, you know, in hindsight to, to I think, blunt that. Um, and I just didn't speak up enough because of deal fatigue. Like we had started the process in June and I think deal fatigue was a big problem for me. Um, because I'm, I'm inherently a sales guy. I wanted to close the sale at Mm -hmm. that point. Mm -hmm. Like in June, I started it and I'm like, I'm looking for an investment. I'm looking for my future and all those things. And then by November, after months and months of due diligence and back and forth and working on all these things, I just wanted to get over the finish line. Yeah. And really I should have walked away. There were there were probably three three things, you know, in that last sixty days that um should have made me walk away. But I didn't want to walk away with you know, five months worth of work, you know, and just throw it away. But you need to be willing to do that. That's a, a huge lesson. Anybody that's call searching, that
0: sunk cost fallacy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh really yeah. hard to really hard to walk away from a sunk cost in anything in life mm-hmm. um but the disciplined business person pushes through that but i hear i i hear you Russ. don't get me wrong what were these three things that now are
1: obvious red flags in retrospect um so that that was one the to to hire for the owner you know the the cost to replace him was much higher than i than was anticipated. i mean the right guy is probably still out there Somewhere is plausible, um, but he it, it just at the moment that wasn't the right guy for that spot. Um, so that's one. The because we did an asset sale versus a stock sale, um, the leases had to be rewritten, and the lease in the primary location doubled. The landlord, you know, was able to take advantage of that. Like he kind of knew that the whole deal hinged on on these leases, and the bank wants it wants a ten year promise. You know, the bank wants to see a ten year lease. Well if you know, so he took advantage of that and doubled it doubled it. You know, so there's 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 two things now that have you basically those two things alone almost amount to thirty percent of my of my equation. And so um and then I think the the complexity of the job. I think right at right at the tail end I got to see how complex the business is. Um, And and I I think I knew at that at that moment it was it wasn't as easy to backfill for that complexity than I thought it might have been. And by complexity,
0: you mean the technical know-how that's required of your team, or do you mean? Okay, Mm
1: -hmm. yep, yep. And the 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 business as a whole, like I so from everything I did retail for for years, and then I went into B two B sales you know commercial sales and then and then i pretty much was in b2b space you know continuously after that and then i went into manufacturing e-commerce well all of those the, the transaction um pace is very um patterned you know it's 30 day terms and most of the buys are happening in bulk on rhythm this business the daily transaction volume there's I probably do more transactions in a day than I, I saw in two weeks in the e econ business because Amazon takes all of that. Like what you're seeing on the, as an Amazon seller on the back end is you get paid every two weeks and you know you're uploading you know you you're, you're sending in your inventory on this on this timed rhythm in my B2B sales, it was the same thing. It might've been daily transactions, but the volume just isn't there. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I've got to buy a part from O'Reilly's and then I got to buy a part from Honda. And then I got to build that to the insurance company that I got to turn around and, and return this part. That was bad part. Like that, the velocity of all that creates a ton of complexity in cash flow. Um, and I, I got just a little glimpse of that in the, in the waning hours prior to closing. And it, and it spooked me, um, in that, the operational demand was going to be, you know, extreme.
0: And, and interesting. And so this is really about the complexity of a high volume transaction business versus what you've been used to, where it, even though the volume might've been higher, high volume, it wasn't, you weren't having kind of direct contact with that high volume. You were Correct. thinking, thinking in, in weekly terms to biweekly terms Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the ways that you'd characterize this business or your perception of this business, Russ, to me on the pre-call was dumb and safe, which is, and and you meant that affectionately, you meant that positively. Um, And I guess the dumb piece meant, you meant by that, you meant like, we're doing windshields, we're doing car radios, like it should be pretty straightforward. Is that what you meant by dumb? And is that now what you, you know, subsequently found out was not as dumb as it looked?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say I, I try to keep this thought out of my mind because, um, it can take me down with it, but the, there, are, there are so many ways to make, to make money that are easier than this. Like we, as a, as a collective team and hats off to the guys in, in this, it, both in the industry and within my team, because the amount of work and effort it takes to spit a dollar out on um, is insane to me hmm. you know say uh, more you, um it, it, the 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 sweat equity that goes into like removing windshield is not easy there's a ton of parts to it um the customer doesn't give a crap really who you are um so to create a positive customer experience is difficult um and and you you could work really hard and put a team you know in there for like I said, you know, maybe a hundred bucks. Well, by the time you put all the other operational costs on top of that, like it's just very, you got to do a ton of them. Like everybody's got to sweat really, really hard to get that income. And and I, I would say this isn't the only service business that's like that. I've studied enough to know that there are other places like that too. But at some point, like volume and scale, you, you start to reach different tiers where the money that's brought back to, to hq for lack of a better term starts to accelerate right you get to a threshold where you sort of you pass all your fixed operational expenses and then after that it's just it's either cost of goods or or payroll and so you're generating the amount of profit you get for every dollar after a certain level starts to increase right like yep. it's there's this this hierarchy or tier in this instance um i don't know that threshold's out there somewhere but i can't see it i can't figure it out because the payroll has to go up so fast um to get to get the the work through the system um it's it's hard to explain without like bringing up excel spreadsheets and kind of walking you through each transaction um but it's just not there like there's no huge windfall at a certain level because you can't i can't run production every car is different you know every customer is different every transaction is different and so really you're trying to make money off of every single one And it's hard to stay efficient because you, you know, there are so many potholes you can fall into throughout the, throughout the workload. Mm -hmm. And that's all stuff I got to work, you know, I got to work through. And the previous owner didn't have much perspective on that stuff. He doesn't understand the world that I came from and I don't understand his world. And so there was a a little bit of, you know, transitional loss there. Hmm. Like he, you know, I would ask him questions from my perspective. Like, why do we do this this way? You know, even, even the, the transaction at the counter to, to me seems really laborious. Um, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. You know, I'm, I'm from software. Like I understand Shopify, you know, <laughs> and Stripe, and those are all made to make the transaction easy and fast. And it's evolving all the time. And there are apps to go in the system to make it better. And I look at this system, I'm like, man, this is, this is awful, you know, yep. in, in how long it takes to get through a transaction. Like I get sweaty because I feel like the customer realizes, is this over yet? You know, and, and just waiting to check them out. <laughs> and, uh, and so not having him understand my perspective and me not understanding his perspective, creates a loss in my ability to upgrade the company, right? Some, some old business owners, I'd say old lightly, but some guys that have been know they're old fashioned, know that they do things the old way. And they're okay with that, and they know that there's efficiency to be gained. I would say that the old owner doesn't even isn't even a, conceptually realizing that there's a loss in that system. He just doesn't know any different because he's he grew up in the business. He doesn't. And so have is any, that
0: to say that he resisted then your efforts to to wring some efficiency out of these these processes?
1: Um, he, a little bit resistant, um, I would say, but not not for any other reason other than it was just lack of perspective. He just straight. Just didn't know, like, it just doesn't understand the perspective, like what I'm trying to, exp- I might as well be speaking a different language. Like it just, it just goes, it just gets lost, you know? And,
0: and what perspective of his do you lack that you think is an impairment to your, your being more effective? Um,
1: He's like, he'll look, he looks down um, every everything operationally. Like he, he to me, he'll spend an hour chasing a dollar. Um, and I just cannot wrap my head around that part of the reason that this company is so good is because of those things. Like, like he was anal about everything and that's hard for me to wrap my head around. I'm a, I'm a speed guy. That's part of sales and marketing, right? Like I, you know, I lost 10 bucks in the back end. I better go make 20 on the front dangerous perspective from a business owner. I recognize that I know it's a weakness and I don't let that like cloud my judgment or, you know, what, how I'm trying to maneuver, um, you know, so I don't know, somewhere in the middle, there's there, this business should be, you know, can be run properly, right? I'm probably too sloppy, too, too risky in, in some of my behavior where I felt like he was too conservative. So he's choking out the top end, right? And I'm killing it from the top end. Like I'm, you know, neither side lets the business really, really breathe and perform where it should which is why I think we would make a good partnership.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say, Russ. On the other hand, it's like, maybe you need that tension between the back of the house guy and the front of the house guy to come to a happy medium where the, where the business thrives.
1: Right. Right. And that's, that's what happened in the previous business. Like I'd have some crazy hairbrine idea. And then I go talk to my partner. I'm like, Hey, you know, like, I think this is great. Let's go do this. And he was like, come on, man, that's like that's stupid. I was like mm. what do you mean it's stupid? You know, and we get to have some some dialogue and we get to argue about it a little bit and 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 then we come to a realization like you know what maybe the, maybe the concept is is good but the execution would have created xyz you know, down the line, I'm like, "All oh, right, you, you know what? You're right. Like, we missed that one. Yeah. You know, at the same token, I can, I could, I would drag him out of his comfort zone. Like, hey, we got to, we got to swing on this, and it would, you know, and we'd hit a winner, and and it'd be good. And so that push pull created this, yeah. this great, you know, progression. And I think that that's what I missed. And I, and I knew that, I knew that. Like, I, I didn't have that. And I thought I could create a system for that. And I actually grabbed, um. A couple of different firms to try to help me with um, you know CFO type role bookkeeping you know to sort of account for my weakness in that space mm-hmm. but it's just not the same as somebody you know sitting over your shoulder saying hey dude you know should we do that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. or or you know like we got to let's watch the books a little bit tighter we're losing some money over here and uh, yeah all all hard lessons
0: uh, well Russ Let's let's catch up on the plot. Let, let's kind of bang through twenty twenty three, your first year of ownership. Just because I'm I'm watching the clock, and we there's a there's a lot still to talk about in terms of your lessons learned and how you're thinking about the future. So, you get into the business, and wh- what is what is your what does the first year look like?
1: So, coming out of the coming out of the winter time, um, I'm I'm still like I'm swimming. In in like trying to trying to figure out what the heck is going on very very long days um you know weekends too just trying to just trying to understand the ins and outs of the business um you know and uh, granted the owner is still there you know for the first six months um and so i i'll lean on him a lot i'm trying to watch him and how he's operating and trying to take on those at the same token i'm looking at the back end and i'm like i the gross dollars are there they're climbing, they look good. Um, but payroll is way higher for me than it was for him. And I can't hundred, you know, it, his cost is in there. So if I back that out, then the guy that he hired to replace him, I'm going to back that out. And my costs are still kind of high, you know? And, and I'm like, okay, my only, at that point, my only choice, uh, cost of goods looks good. Operational expenses overall, all look all kind of fall in line um, to where they were expected to close. So if we back up the clock a little bit after close, so the rent on the primary location doubled my insurance, like garage liability insurance, you know, van insurance, all that stuff went up 20 or 30% because I was a new entity. The insurance company didn't recognize me. Even though the company had been around a long time, I was, a, I was a new risk, right? So that went up 20 or 30%. That was a cost I didn't account for. I'd accounted for interest rates to go up, went up more than we expected. Right. So there's another basically all my extra income was erased between owner payroll, new guy, and then rent, insurance, interest. All of my disposable income was gone at that point. So I knew at that at that moment, like I wasn't going to make any money. So Russ, can, opt- I, can
0: I stop you on an important point? Because. It's funny that this hasn't come up, I don't think, in any of my interviews, I, I must be mistaken on that. The fact that you did this asset purchase, which is the standard way of doing these small business acquisitions, not always, but the standard, meant that your landlord you said as opportunity to write your new lease, double your rent, and you just said about the insurance company. You know, you, you didn't grandfather, you didn't get, you didn't get any of the the previous owner's pricing because they they are all seeing you, all your vendors, or not all, but some of these important vendors are seeing you as essentially a new customer, a new client of theirs, and they then give you market pricing, which is a lot higher that, than what your owner had been paying. Anything more to say about and and if you had, but clearly, I mean, to be clear. If you had bought this as a stock purchase, you would have you would have inherited the old pricing, we presume. So, anything more to say about that? Because it's such a it's such a powerful uh, point and and a powerful weakness to an asset purchase.
1: Yeah, I, I like I could really get on the soapbox about this one because it hurt me so bad. Um, the 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 health insurance changed too, even though like I don't I don't I learned more later than. Made it seem like I, it shouldn't have changed, but it changed. My LI rates were different. Like my overall payroll expense changed. I don't know how the state does that, um, but the LI rate for that classification changed for me versus what it was for him. And I don't know why, because all of that stuff had to be rebuilt um, under my new legal entity. But yeah, with all those costs were unseen until the end. My, all the insurance, so the national insurance, like, group, I guess. Um, this is a whole thing too. So my number one competitor, I have to communicate with every day because they own the glass servicing side of it. So Safe Light Solutions is, uh, you know, own Safe Light Auto Glass, and they handle all the glass claims for all the insurance companies. Anyway, when our legal entity changed, they dropped us out of the network. So this company had been part of that, that network for 28 years. And I didn't get paid for 60 days or so mm. once once they realized that the transaction had taken place i had to re-register and re-sign up for them so they would tell every customer that they're we're not a preferred you know vendor of theirs um there's no warranty so customers would would then opt to not do business with us that didn't know any different um we had to fight for the customers we did get and then we were in this huge pay delay um I are not even getting money so february to like march um yeah, the end of January, February, all of March, basically, I w- I was receiving no insurance income.
0: In what and, percentage uh, of the revenue does that represent, roughly?
1: Um, uh, it's probably half. Wow. Yeah. So your revenue painful. drops by half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The cash flow while I was still doing the work, so I'm still getting, I'm still getting insurance work, still doing it, but they're not paying because they're like it's it's uh this is a little bit of a conspiracy theory but i think that they do it on purpose to try to choke you out because because i'm a i'm a small-time competitor the whole safe Light solutions doesn't want us to exist Mm -hmm. um they do everything that they can within legal boundaries or sub-legal boundaries to try to make sure that the little glass shop suffers and so they they were they were in no hurry to rebuild my profile even though we met all of the all of the criteria to be certified and all of the technicians met all of the criteria to be part of that. Like I had submitted it over and over and over and you get no response back. You get no response back or you we're working on it, send us this. We're working on it, send us on this. And they just drug it out. Like no other system on the planet takes that amount of time. Like mm-hmm. literally if, if, if I didn't have my own cash at that point to keep the company going, we would have died. They would have killed me before we even really got off the, uh, get off the ground. And I think like, because they just don't care. Sorry, I'm gonna get really like passionate, heated about that because I think the system is really, really messed up.
0: And and do you think that if you had done a stock purchase, all of that would have been avoided?
1: Correct, yep, I would have slipped in the back door and they wouldn't have known any different and the business would have stayed right where it was
0: and as Recredible you are moves. as you are funding basically the this lost revenue out of pocket are you expecting that the work that you're still delivering is just going to uh, is eventually going to be compensated and you're going to get kind of get a big lump f- lump payment as it's released sort of thing y- so you are y- banking on it eventually coming
1: y- yeah i knew eventually the money would catch up to me like it yeah. just sits sits out there long term you know, AR. Yeah. And so I, I I was kind of okay with it. But part of it too distorted my vision on the company. Um like I I couldn't really get a good perspective on cash flow because I wasn't like I was having to supplement it with my own cash in the beginning. And so for the first, you know, that first quarter in the company, um, you know, Everything is sort of insane at that. Anybody that's gone through an acquisition understands that. Like you you don't know which way is up. Right. And then I have this like emergency that I'm trying to try to handle. And then I'm not triaging some of the things I should have been like, I should have recognized that payroll was an issue, but I'm worried about cash getting cash in. Like yep. just to, I just want to keep the lights on. I'm not worried about anything other than trying to keep. The like I'm 90 days into this thing and I'm gonna and I'm gonna go, you know I'm gonna lose it all. Like this is crazy, and so the furthest thing from my mind was am I operationally sound at that moment because I'm just trying to stop the bleeding. Yep. And and yeah. yeah. And so what I finally start to catch up. Like I'm starting to get the checks in, I'm starting to get some money. They finally let us back into the system. You know now I, now the customers call to make the th- you know to make the claim and they say, Oh, this is one of our preferred shops and we'll stand behind the warranty. So we start to get some customer reinforcement through the, don't get me wrong. Safe Light solution still wants to kill me. um, But they have some legal verbiage that they use to make the transaction for the customer sound better. Um, And so I'm starting to get some cash flow, but I think at that point I'm starting to recognize now we're headed into the summer, which is the busy season. And I'm like, man, payroll is really, really high. You know, I saw a payroll, um, outbound payroll in the heat of the mom, month, you know, during the busy season, you know, 55 to 60 K, um, in payroll. And I'm, I'm way over hundred, you know, hundred plus. And I'm like, I, you know, where is this going? You know, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to dissect it. Cause I have, I have one extra person. I have the owner, you know, and I'm picking up some overtime and, and there's just some stuff I'm not, I'm not seeing in in payroll. And so yeah. even though the gross dollars are going up, again, there's no there's no additional profit. Like I'm basically you know, just just surviving. Dollar in, dollar out, dollar in, dollar out. My god, like, ah, this isn't this isn't good, you know. And that's what leads us to to the crisis that we're in now. I I I knew it in June. I knew I was in trouble. I was like, "But I I have two options. I can either start to tamp down the growth and tamp down what I'm trying to do internally and rewrite the The payroll structure which i was deeply concerned with what that would do with the culture like you're the new guy you come in you're here for six months and now you're starting to either lay people off or change what the money i'm making um you know and i felt like that could be insurmountable in a company with 10 to 12 13 people yeah um i didn't want to lose them i didn't know the business either right like there's i i can't go out there and change a windshield I, like I could now I could, but I couldn't then. And so I'm at the mercy of, you know, of the, the people that, that work with me. Like I, I truly like servant leadership. We're all aware about it. that is 100% me because I can't do any of it. You know, my job is to make sure that you're, you're happy and that you stay here and you do your job. So I was, I was definitely afraid of that. So my only option at that point was try to grow. So I found a small, a sm- there was a small guy, that um, has small book of business just north of me so i acquired his book of business i get a scream a good deal on that i'm dollar cost averaging through acquisition so write that one down <laughs> um, uh, so i acquired his book of business and i was able to drop that into into our bucket and that started to give us some some additional lift so 10 15% growth i'm like okay i'm you know i'm starting to to cover that but you know the the payroll is still still too high and then, uh, and you're, and you're and not then, able,
0: and you're not able to, to crack this, crack the code on why, because that is so uh, dramatic. what did you say? It should be around 50, 60, and it's at a at hundred. So it's almost doubled.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's almost doubled. So the, so the owner has gone by June, I think that helps. Um, and, but I'm still, still hurting and in, mm-hmm. in payroll, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm not taking a payroll, um, right. And so I know it's not me and I'm just, yeah, I'm still trying to, trying to figure this out. Like I'm looking at past payroll, like who are the employees that were here before there's been some turnover. So it's not all the same. Um, There were a couple of other deals that were done outside of me, you know, prior to me that, that I learned about later. I was like, oh, this guy's making way more, but why, you know, I just assumed that, that obligation and I don't know what transpired. To that anyway like we, we could go down a whole rabbit hole in that okay but needless to say that led me you know all the way through the summer and then um so, so the owner's gone i kind of figure out what i'm doing now you know I, I still work a lot um i still open and close dark to dark um but i'm not you know i'm not needed on the weekends i'm not on my laptop at home you know digging through excel and and quickbooks to figure out what's going on i have some transparency in numbers now um and then the summer starts to end and we hit October and then there's this huge fall off in revenue. And I'm like, Ooh, that's, that's painful. So overnight the, the business starts to really hemorrhage, um, because my costs, um, as as, you know, with typical cash flow ebb and flow, right? Like as, as your, as your revenue goes up, the costs, lag behind it and as the revenue goes down the cost for the high cost from the previous month is still hitting yeah. you right it takes some time for those two things to to converge so we just overnight all of a sudden ran into this huge crackdown now i've already deployed it you know a fair amount of my own capital to kind of keep the wheels on and buy myself some time i'm trying to how, buy myself how, time how much did you put in out.
0: at this point russ
1: um i'm i'm in the yeah I, I would say if you count the october deployment i'm you know 100 ish
0: 100 as of now or back then like hundred as, of, as now? of
1: you know as of yeah through october i th- i think i'd probably deployed 60 okay. plus going into into q4 and then okay. october i had to do an, an emergency dump um into it to keep it going and then at that point like my own personal runway is really scaring me a little bit, and I don't see. I I look on the horizon. I'm like, I don't see a way where this company can pay me and stay alive. And so now I'm kind of at a, at this like this crisis threshold. I I finally like went back to the team. You know, I laid a, I laid a guy off. I didn't replace some that I'd lost through attrition, and I redid the payroll structure. So I have a sales team that's on commission that's the way it's always been you know i believe in commission and you know some of that but that the commission structure was hurting the company so i finally went back and i told everybody i was like listen i like i i have to i have to fix this which was brutal like the the one of the guys that i sent home was a beautiful man like just a, a beautiful human and it was gut wrenching to send him home but i you know i had to do it right and then i had to have the conversation with you know, somebody who, who had become accustomed, he left his previous employer to come work for us mm-hmm. for a salary that he thought he was going to get. And I have to re like, I have to cut his pay by 40%. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I, I just don't have a choice. The company can't support it. Right. Like all, none of those things are discussed when you go through the acquisition, yeah. right? This is the, this is the drama in this interview. Like nobody, nobody tells you about that pain. Like you, you can, you can, go through a termination, you know, at a big corporation as a manager. <clears throat> you're you're anointed the guy that gets to send somebody home. <clears throat> it's painful. But I'm I'm doing it from a from a perspective that I acquired this company and I made you a promise that I was going to take care of you and I'm not upholding my end of the bargain. I just yeah. from from my it's painful.
0: Yeah. It's so much more personal. You're not you're not acting on behalf of the corporation. You are it's it's kind of on your shoulders as you put it. I mean you you've made it, it, it kind of a an agreement with each of the employees and feel like you're not upholding your
1: end. Right, right. right? Yeah, it, it's a it's a machine in in order to let people pay for their families. Like I I get the luxury to lead the machine so that these people can work here and pay for their families, right? Yeah. Like it's not it's not about me ultimately. Yeah and in yeah. anyway so you know needless to say we you know we got past that and we we sort of righted the ship from from a payroll perspective you know in a cost perspective um but the company is still very very um dire in the sense that our revenue is continuing to to be you know 30% or better below what it was a year ago in so even you know,
0: even so even though this is now off season, you're lower than historical off seasons.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing numbers that this company hasn't seen since 2019. Um, in and, in and the 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 you know the first few weeks of that, I felt like it was me. Like, am I am I choking the business now? Right? Like, am I have I have I eliminated our capacity to generate revenue and the maneuvers that I'm making? Right? Reducing the 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 uh, technician count. Um, reducing the payroll, like, is everybody's, um, y- you know, wherewithal to push through and create more revenue? Am I shrinking that? Which is my ultimate fear, right? Like, uh, I, and from a sales and marketing perspective, that's the last thing I want to do. Like, I want to have this, you know, I want to have this funnel with tons of capacity in it. And I don't have the capacity that I used to. So I'm like, I, you know, where's the math? And what, what's the maximum number of dollars I can run through the system? And that's what that's what I'm looking at is did i choke it in that i need let's say uh, these are round numbers this is not factual let's say that i need two hundred thousand to take care of everything everybody and spit off some cash right but 200 I have now, a month in revenue or, right, in right. Sales. A, totally mm-hmm. a hypothetical number but let's okay. say that i need 200 to pay for everything yep and um i've made maneuvers that only allow me to run 175 like i all out best operational you know capability and i can only get 175 through the system right i've i've essentially like put a cliff that we're gonna we're gonna dive off of so um so that's where things
0: stand right now um that's where things stand right now russ
1: yeah i don't i don't know um what that threshold i mean I, i i have an idea what that threshold is but i don't know what if, if I've limited what we're capable of, I don't know the volumes, not there, the inbound volumes, not there. Um, in my opinion, I'm, I'm speculating, right. And so
0: what does the previous owner say about, about this? Has he ever seen anything like this or are you even communicating to him about what's going he, on?
1: He, yeah, we're still communicating. He, he lives, he moved away, um, and has a, has a regular job now. And so he and I communicate far, far less, um, and I've, I've posed this question to him, um, but he doesn't really have an answer. Like, I, again, it just sort of like it falls on deaf ears. I'm not faulting him for that, but I would like some, you know, some input like, oh, everybody tells me it's seasonal. Like, I know that there's a low season, but I'm 20 or 30% below. I'm actually getting most of my, most of my Intel from other local business owners in my space. So I know there's another, you know auto glass company that's for sale um that's fairly close to me i saw i i was able to get his documentation and look at numbers real-time numbers just from a from our perspective I, I mean he's close enough geographically that we that I, I can the economy is the same but far enough away that he's not you know in my back pocket anyway i was able to get his numbers and look at his real-time numbers and see that he's down i know that um car toys which is a you know, a larger competitor in our space, they're, they're down. There's another audio shop. They're down 30%. I'm like, okay. So they're, 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 for whatever reason, there's an economic retraction that's hurting me. I didn't think auto glass would s- suffer from that. I'm seeing it in the electronics for sure, but I'm also seeing it in auto glass. Hmm. And I, my, my theory as of late. Again, I, I roll through a bunch of different you know this this could change tomorrow, but um, I think that the, because nationwide there's a big company that laid off closed a bunch of shops and laid off a bunch of technicians, 300 and some technicians back east somewhere, and um, I think what's happening is that the the people are just holding up, right? Like they're holding on to the cash, and so what happens is that the auto glass industry the demand starts to shrink a little bit, and then Safe Light Solutions this is like conspiracy that you might have to cut all this out, but I think that <laughs> Safe Light Solutions can turn up the steering. Um, in that they start to scoop more work, like they get to talk to my customer way before I do, and so if they're if they have open capacity, they get to communicate just a little bit more with a customer mm-hmm. to try to bring that customer into their facility, keeping that customer from me. In the summertime when it's busy, they're full. They don't really have the capacity. They don't want the call center to suck in as much work, and so I think they, they, the dialogue or the script that those call centers use changes. Depending on seasonality, so I think that's what's happening is that SafeLight is soaking up more work because the whole market has shrunk a little bit. Interesting. So, sense.
0: so your your kind of survival is predicated on overflow business from SafeLight, but when the whole industry gets a little this is your theory, but mm-hmm. when the whole industry gets tight, SafeLight has less overflow and they keep it all for they keep more of it for themselves, and so there's less coming to you at the margins. Hmm. Um but the final revenue numbers for 2023 were they how did they compare to previous revenue numbers if you look at the entire year
1: we ended up about flat so up 20% 20 plus percent june you know uh, probably started the tail end of may so june july august september was even you know maybe 10% better and then October, we started to see a fall and such a, and, and it was so severe that we erased all the gains that we had in the summer. Mm-hmm. So I ended up finishing the year about flat to what it was the year before. So I had seen, you know, 20% growth over the whole busy season and then lost it all in Q4, um, ended up flat. And so now, and my expenses through that whole summertime were huge. You know, I'm, I, my end P and L for the year is going to be negative six digits. Easy. Um, I don't have final numbers yet, but. Yeah.
0: And, even, and that's Not, after you've put in about six digits.
1: Uh, correct. Yeah.
0: Russ, going back to the owner and his ability to help you, the, I mean, one thing just going way back to this general manager sort of person that he was going to hire as his, repl- did hire as his replacement and paid generously. Um, and then now maybe his inability to really help you. Do you think a lot of that stems from the fact that he his experience of the business was without a big hefty loan payment so he just feels like there's more his experience of the business is one with much more oxygen than you have i just i just think that you know when we talk about owners and sellers they don't have their reality, their day-to-day reality is so different than ours because they don't have this big SBA payment that all of us have do you think that that plays a role in 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 your kind of talking past each other
1: I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I showed him before we closed the deal in the months heading into it, there was a couple of times where I had, I was, you know, I had this, like my projection tool, you know, my Excel projection tool, and he could see in that projection tool, here's, here's the SBA debt load. Like I was giving him full transparency on everything that I was taking over. Yeah. Um, and again, like, it's just, um, I don't know if it, if he, if he chooses not to say anything and has a thought or if he just doesn't have a thought, you know, I don't, I just don't know. Cause I, I, you know, I had some questions and I exposed that to him and we've had questions later. I was like, listen, I, you know, the salary that you used to pay yourself basically is now SBA debt,
0: you know, Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. those two things were interchanged. That's part of it What made me comfortable. It was like, he's been paying himself this salary for a couple of years. I was like, so the company can support it comfortably you know, the SBA debt, SBA debt. Um, and, and so I, you know, I, but not once did he acknowledge, you know, and, you know, in September of whatever I took this in due in financial due diligence, I may have uncovered it like where he changed that. I didn't see it, but where he took less to keep the company going. I I just couldn't find it. Um, but it's hypothetical. But yeah, to answer your question, I don't know why I didn't get any – like why he doesn't – like maybe you could do this or what about trying this or what about that? It's, it's well, just
0: speaking of trying things and things that he wouldn't relate to, again, on the SBA loan, talk to us about this, what you've done with, with your loan.
1: So I I knew that there's a risk. There's a financial risk. I'm, I'm at a point where, you know, I could – you know, not have enough cash to keep the company alive or the company could shrink fast enough where I can't make the obligations. And so I thought it might be prudent for me to reach out to my SBA lender and say, hey, I'm, you know, I haven't missed any payments. I haven't been late, Um, but maybe we need to have some dialogue. Um, And God bless him. The SBA lender was immediately sent me to his team And they were like, let's see if we can, you know, you know, do a modification or do, you know, interest only payments or whatever. Like he gave a list of things that were or were plausible. And I was like, well, you know, that was that was a huge relief to me. Um, I don't I don't want to marry myself to an SBA loan for two decades. Um, Tell us what
0: the restructuring was, if you can.
1: Well, so it's not it's not complete yet. So I went through the paperwork gauntlet, you know, two weeks ago. And so it's under, it's within underwriting review. I just got an email this morning actually asking for some additional information. They need some more uh, to to clarify the final 2023 numbers. Um, So I don't know what they're going to do, you know, but if they, it looked to me like their initial thought was a modification, extend the term, you know, 20 years versus 10 years, which would take a huge load off of, you know, off of the, the company and could, you know conceivably create the breathing room I need. I mean we're still we're still, you know, in dire straits, but I feel like the decline is leveled out. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I play the decline out, I'm gonna be twenty to thirty percent down for the for the rest of the year. But I'm still gonna I'm still gonna have a busy summer. It'll just mm-hmm. be twenty percent less than last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are numbers that I can I can just rebuild my you know, my projections and, and work back off of what I think that will be. And so I put in the new SBA payment I'm making a bunch of other shifts too, to, to try to, to try to help and, and get through it.
0: And so you, so let's, let's pick apart some of that. So you, the SBA lender offered to reamortize the loan over a 20 year term rather than the 10, which is what it was. And that, of course, reduces the payment a lot. Can you say how much? Or is, I'm not sure that'll be helpful to the audience. But maybe just give us a number anyway.
1: Yeah, it's uh, so it could be. Um, it's going to be around eighty grand a year. Eighty helps. grand a year
0: it, it, that that mm-hmm. frees up. Okay. Um, yep. Of course, it does. Then make as you said the loan a 20 year loan, so you'll be paying it off for 20 years if you don't refinance at some point in the future. Is there any mm-hmm. other negative to it? Because that does seem like a pretty good deal for just raising your hand.
1: Yeah. I, I, I don't know that there are any other like gotchas in that. Mm -hmm, Um, (laughs) I don't know, like what happens if it gets worse? I, you know, what if next October comes around and I'm still, I'm still in a predicament. Do they get to, do I have any more lifelines? Like if this is the one lifeline I get, you know, do I use it now? You know, I would say that those are questions that I have in the back of my mind, but there's no other, there's nothing else that has come out of the woodwork that looks negative. I I mean, I think we all recognize that the bank doesn't want to go, doesn't want to repossess a home. Like, you know, like they're not out to do that. There's nobody wins in that. I guess in my instance where I've got enough equity to cover it, they might be okay with it, you know, but then they make me homeless. And then, you know, having an owner, like from a bank's, I'm just trying to put myself in their position from a bank's perspective. If the owner, you know has lost everything, like how can you ensure that your debt is going to continue to get paid? Right. Like if you take everything from me and I have nothing to live for, I just, from a bank's perspective, it just doesn't make sense to me. Right. Um, Right. You know, maybe they're, (laughs) maybe they're bloodthirsty, I don't know, but.
0: (laughs) No, no, it's definitely an important insight into their psychology that they, they don't want to repossess anything. They want to see their, their, um, their borrowers be, successful. And so they, they give themselves wiggle room on the back end that they might not be so transparent about up front. Uh, I'm getting a little above my pay grade and talking too much about that because I, I don't know what what um, quivers there are in the, in the what arrows there are in the quiver. But when you talk to your lender, did, did you get the feeling that you could have an even more open conversation than you had where it's like, okay, thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Lender for changing the amortization, the term here what happens if things keep going the wrong way what what are step two three and four do you have any visibility into that
1: it, they, nothing was exposed uh, but the fact that I, I was immediately sent to a team that's built around it, dealing with this makes me feel like there's a there's a the triage process. system yeah. in place yeah. Yeah. yeah and and I imagine that there's probably a tiered you know a tiered sure you know, perspective, I don't know, like with, like had a, had a uh, SBA payment bounce. Like I, I assume there's some sort of deployment, like they, they have a, 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 probably an SOP for when that happens, right? Like this team probably comes converging in on you. And then you start to, you start this dialogue process. I'm just, I think I'm ahead of it. So I'm not seeing all of the, I'm not seeing everything. Those are all assumptions.
0: Yeah. And so Russ, with this some debt re- relief, as it well, it's not, I guess it's not relief, but this debt extension, which relieves the monthly payment. You, you, and let's say that your numbers are now down 20 ish percent, your sales are now down 20 ish percent. If you did, you, I hear you say that, you know, playing that forward for the remainder of this year, if they remain down 20 percent all the way for all 12 months, that with this relief of the debt payment, you can, you can make them. Number of work you can, the business can be sustainable.
1: Uh, yeah, I believe so. You, you, You know, back, you know, when I restructured the payroll, I, I also went back to my insurance company and changed deductibles and changed coverages and stuff. The bank has some say in that I have limits in which I can, I can maneuver stuff, but yeah, I, uh, I changed, I changed that. I changed the health insurance plan, which really I'm too small for health insurance. I mean, it was a cool perk by the previous owner. I shouldn't have it at all. Um. To be honest um but it's I, so i changed the percent in which the company pays um and and i, I changed the sick time policy like I'm, i've made a ton of like lever pulls. i now charge a customer three percent if they're going to use their credit card you know um all these little things to change um the revenue perspective you know and the net profit perspective like i'm changing all of that currently in addition to the debt i'm also you know, I'm trying to consolidate, um, locations. Like I I need to get everybody under one roof. So I have the, I can't retract anymore right now because I'm so spread out. So I need to get into a central location. Like this is a whole, a whole nother story here, but this is actively happening right now. is If I can get everybody into one roof, if I need to retract and lay additional employees off, I can. I can still be efficient in one building. With two buildings, trying to keep coverage in two buildings, technicians in two buildings, I'm at a, at a retraction limit unless they start to limit hours. And then from a customer perspective, that looks, I, I think that that looks bad. Um, like, oh, you're only open, you know, nine to four, or you're only open, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I just the impression that that gives to the customer, I don't think is very good. Um, It's just too hard to control, you know, operationally, you know, the number of locations that I have when I need to retract.
0: And if you consolidate, will this, do you think that this will set a new foundation from which you can survive comfortably? Or is it also kind of a Hail Mary?
1: Uh, it's a little bit of a Hail Mary. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing my eggs into what there's some, some stuff you and I can't talk about it right now, but at the next call, we'll be able to have a discussion. There's another layer in this consolidation um, that I, I, I can't speak to right now, but yeah, I, there's, there's a side of this where I'm, st- I'm making one final like push. To try to keep everything alive and here's here's the other side of that if i can get everything into one unit i have i have a guy that's capable of being a general manager and two two sales members everybody's dispersed across the facilities right now so it's basically everybody's like i'm covering a facility i've got another guy at another facility and then i've got two guys at, at another facility if i can put everybody in that one roof i don't have to be there open to close and i can go get a job so that which I'm going to have, like, I keep deploying my, my runway. I got to I got bills to pay too. And I don't want to kill the company because I need to eat. Um, like I need the, if the company can pay for itself, um, you know, and I can, I can run at 30,000 feet and just let it idle. I'm good with that, but I got to go out and find a job. I can't do that if I need to be here, open to close. So that's another advantage. If I can get into one seat, I can go out and seek, you know, outside employment to at least keep the lights on. That from a from a searcher perspective so I looked I looked at that business say, okay can you jump into the system if if all hell breaks loose can you jump in and do everything right and I thought like in landscape I can go pick up a shovel we talked to the, the gentleman that owns the cemetery he was able to jump into the system and go do some of that and, and pick it up I don't have the skill set um, now I could be a salesperson but a salesperson doesn't make enough to pay my bills so for me to to, to get rid of a salesperson and take that seat yeah Um, It still creates a, you know, a net negative situation for me. So, you know, there's the, the, the one position that could pay me enough. I don't bring enough value to the company to, to have that person leave the company, right? Like Mm -hmm. his contribution is so high and so good for the company that it would be again, a net negative Mm -hmm. in, you know, for the company. So I need to, you know, potentially go out and seek outside employment, but I can't do that until I get into one building.
0: Russ, you just teased the fact that that we have already planned to reconvene to hear how all of this is played out because we're talking now and it, it is so in flux. Uh, and a lot of the a lot of your prescriptions for how to solve this dilemma, you're you're literally putting in place. Like as we as we just heard, you had a request from your SBA SBA lender in your inbox this very morning. So we are going to talk again. And hear how things uh, have shaped up here. For now, is there anything more that the audience should hear, should know? Anything I failed to ask?
1: Mm, I, I, not that, not that I can think of. Um, but yeah, the next six weeks will be telling. There'll be a lot of uh, a lot of developments both from the SBA side. Do we survive the winter? So the busy season starts, um, you know, starts to ramp up in March. So we're in January right now. I going to get through January. I got to get through February. And then i should start seeing lift in march um i'll know in six weeks um, about the one facility idea and i can kind of i'll be able to map that out um, and explain what the other the other the other side of that that i can't speak of yet if i can talk about that um and the yeah so it'll be a, it'll be a good recap
0: mm-hmm. okay russ well, of course, thank you so much for giving us a window into what this looks like real time. Uh, I, and I'm sure every single person listening to this is is really rooting for you. Uh, sounds like a very difficult situation, but that you are doing your damnedest to pull through. So um, we'll, we'll hold our breath in the meantime and talk to you again when you think it's appropriate. Of course, you and I will be in touch.
1: I look forward to it, Will. I look forward to it.
0: More than you know. Thank
1: you, Russ.